This podcast and actually my business wouldn't be as pretty if it weren't for our friends from Musicbed. Find the perfect song for your films with a highly curated roster featuring hundreds of artists, bands, and composers. As a Wedding Bossness listener, you could get your first month of subscription free or 20% off of a single song purchase. Just enter the promo code WEDDINGBOSSNESS when you check out. Or just click on the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Wedding Bossness Podcast. The podcast that asks the question, what do I need to do to make my wedding business run smoother? Today's guest is Margot Fraze, and we are talking about decoding client inquiries. You know, this topic has never been more important than right now because people are starting to inquire, but at the same time, they're shopping around and throwing these new questions that sometimes I just want to respond with a video of just, you know, pulling my hair out. <laughs> I love learning and I believe that the best lessons are learned from the most unsuspecting sources. Just like I learned the best video lighting tips from a photographer, the best sales closing tactic from a random car salesman, my editing process from a chef. I'm so honored that Margot is here, and I can't wait to share the interview with you. And just like what Harry Truman said, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Thanks for joining me as we both possibly would learn something new today. This is the Wedding Bossness Podcast. Margo, thanks for being on the show. Hi, so happy to be here. And you know, it's been a while since because we've been seeing each other passing in passing at uh, the Rising Tide Society events, right? I'm like the That's only funny. guy there. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> one of the five no, guys. A sprinkling of guys. Don't, don't misrepresent us. <laughs> no, I'm actually, I, I actually feel so fortunate that I'm it's it's more women there than the guys so I feel like it's easier for me to network because I don't have any uh more handsome competition to deal with <laughs> I mean that's like the wedding industry as a whole is mostly women exactly. you know so there are some categories that are what I call dude heavy like DJs and videographers like yourself uh, yeah. but a lot of us are women. It's a, it's a it's a lady lady uh, centric profession. So yeah, and it's very refreshing too that the women are getting into DJing and like yeah. BB, for example. Mm, like it's, it's so refreshing to see videographers are getting into it too because it we kind of like need that a more feminine touch when it comes to our industry because it's just very it's just all technical and not you know not a lot of feminine touch so I, I, really I, I love the lady DJs I I oh. think that they really get into it everyone I've every every one of the female DJs that I've worked at is, has rocked it and I, I just think people are they're either really good at what they do or they're not it doesn't have a lot to do with their gender or their age or anything else so yeah exactly and they know how to they have a different way of dealing with uh, drunk people at weddings too it's so so nice to see <laughs> I have my own special way of dealing with drunk people. <laughs> Should we talk about that first? No. <laughs> okay. So be before we start, I love asking my guests questions about, uh, you know, tell us something about yourself that people would probably be surprised to know. Yeah. So uh, I, I think you read my bio, right, at the top. So people know I'm a wedding planner. Uh, before that, I was a retail consultant, which people don't know, but probably the single most random and interesting fact about me is that when I was a child, when I was 12 and 13, I was a national junior artistic roller skating champion, <laughs> which means that I basically lived at a roller skating rink from the time I was seven to 15. And I did, you know, you see like figure skating in the Olympics on ice skates. Well, I did that on roller skates, like quad roller skates, like jumps and turns and all that kind of stuff. And I would travel around the country with my mom and my, all my dresses and my, my makeup and all that stuff. 
So that's, that's a really great, it's a deep pull from my childhood, but it's, it's something that I can claim that I definitely know how to do better than 99.99% of people on the planet is roller skate. <laughs> so do you, do you still roller skate? Like for time to time, I'll go down to like Venice uh, boardwalk and, and get out there. And, um, I think I, I, maybe my 35th birthday, we had like a a roller, like a nineties themed roller skating party just for fun. (laughs) But yeah, I do every once in a while, but not as much as I was, as I did obviously when I was a child, because I was there every single day. I mean, I had a, I had a coach that would come and pick me up at six in the morning before school. Like it was a whole thing. And if I thought it through, I would have done figure skating, like ice skating. But the only place to do that around where, where I lived, because I grew up in the Inland Empire in Riverside, was like Big Bear. And that was just too far. So, <laughs> so I, I, I wonder now, because I have, me personally, I have a really terrible, horrible center of gravity. Like my, I can't balance for anything. So is there a correlation between skateboarding and roller skating i do both. also like surf surfing too is there like yeah i do all of those things or i did I, at 40 years old i don't do a lot of skateboarding or surfing anymore but i did those when i was younger i think um my family's just a little bit more sporting inclined my dad played football at yale and was a basketball star in high school and so, i mean so my family's just really athletic so sense of balance and, and sports have always come a little bit more naturally to me. But I do think that skating and skateboarding and I do skiing, not not snowboarding, but skiing, like old school skiing, because I'm just that old. Uh, but <laughs> but they, they all have a lot to do with center of balance. But it's it's helpful as an adult to have a good center of balance. So you just got to get one of those balls and like stand on it, like the gym balls, like the half balls that they have at the gym and you can really work on your balance. That's it? Okay. Well, it's never too late. <laughs> never too late. Okay. So you're saying it's not, it, I could still I could still you do it. You can still like, do it. Skate, I, have, I have faith in you. You can still do it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think that the, that's the reason why I have a big behind is because I roller skated before and I always follow my, <laughs> I always follow my butt. <laughs> I broke my tailbone as a child because oh, that's, where, that's where you fall when, when you are a figure skater. You fall on your, on your coccyx coccyx that's what they call it the bone in your tailbone oh my gosh see that's why i can't get into these things (laughs) even like skiing whenever my friends ask me hey do you want to go skiing i'm like my my excuse is i'm too brown for snow so (laughs) but in reality i'm just afraid i'm just at least you're not pale white like you get lost in the snow like i do (laughs) i would love to get lost in the snow (laughs) i stick out like a tree trunk Okay, so now I would love to ask you. I'm I'm always uh, interested in people's origin stories, yeah. and uh, I was wondering how you started and what got you into the industry and what you're up to right now. I kind of came into wedding the wedding industry and wedding planning in a roundabout way, as a lot of wedding planners do. You know, you either have two things: you either always wanted to do it and kind of went to college for hospitality and got into it that way, or you're like me and some of my really good friends that are wedding planners, and we all kind of fell into it. I had a previous career. I was a retail consultant. So I worked for a consulting firm out of New York and I worked um, in tandem with brands like Nike and Lucky Brand Jeans and Ben Sherman to, you know, make all of their kind of shop and shop spaces, their wholesale accounts. So if you go into like a Macy's and all of the like Lucky Brand fixtures are different, that's because the company that I work for helped make that. So that's what I was doing. And one of the last accounts that I had was working with Yahoo. Does everybody remember Yahoo back in the day? It's like Google. It's like a pre-Google. Well, they were still like really big in like 2004, 2005. And the company that I work for uh, sent me over there to kind of be a go-between because they wanted to make products, like all kinds of stuff labeled with the Y-Bang. That's the logo that they, they called it, the Y-Bang, because it was a Y and an exclamation point. But it turns out that the only people that really want Yahoo-branded products are people that work for Yahoo. <laughs> so the marketing department and the events department. So I started working with the events department on their like holiday parties and swag bags and all kinds of stuff like that. And frankly, it was a lot more fun than my job. So I became really interested in the corporate events side. And at the same time, a couple of my friends were like, oh, 
I'm getting married. You can help me with that. Right. Like that's the same. So that's, that's the line that I always say. They're always like, that's the same thing. Right. Yeah, sure. No. And so I helped some friends plan a wedding. I worked under a wedding planner here in LA. And then in 2011, I launched Harmony Creative Studio, which is my boutique wedding planning firm. I say boutique because it means we plan between 20 and 25 weddings a year. And everything uh, was going super swimmingly for my company going up, up, up for about three years Finally getting those clients that I wanted, everything was finally coming together. And then in June of 2014, I was diagnosed with stage four inflammatory breast cancer. So it was kind of a setback, obviously. I had to take about a year and a half, two years off of my business. Kind of like everyone is doing now, I, I, this, I'm no stranger to what's happening right now. Um, I don't wish it on anyone, trust me. But I had this happen to me back in 2014. I had to take a step back from my business because I didn't have any energy. I was having a bunch of surgeries. I did chemo, radiation, the whole thing. But it was a long time. And I had to spend several years away from my business working on all my back-end stuff because it was all I could do to feel connected to my business. And so I really worked on, you know, all the processes in my business, everything from the inquiry process, which we're going to talk about today, at to every, you know, everything, my marketing, everything because I had the time to do it. I had nothing but time. And I think everyone is kind of getting a taste of that now because well, we've all got time and it's whatever you choose to work on in your business. That's the thing, like the, the setback that you experienced, it's kind of like close to what people are experiencing. You're right, what, what you're mm -hmm. saying. Yeah. Do you have any advice? Because we're recording this during the in the middle, in the midst of the pandemic. And right. Who knows what stage of the pandemic it's in? Cause we're still yeah, in it, it's but just, it's still happening. Yeah. Cause, and, and now that I'm sure people aren't getting as much inquiries as they right. would want to. Yeah. Do, do you have any advice for, to people who are trying to figure out what's going on and how, how are they going to handle this? Right. So we're a few months in at this point. It's, I, I think my advice would be a little bit different than it was at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, interestingly enough, I, I got an up close and personal seat to the kind of implosion of the events industry. I was actually speaking in Las Vegas at the special event and cater source conference from March 9th to the 12th. I hit the stage on the 12th, literally the, like the, as the California governor was like announcing that stuff was going to close down. I was on, I was getting my makeup done. My cell phone was vibrating off the table with people trying to, you know, talk to me about what they could do. And I had to, you know, send all my clients an email right before that was like, Hey, I see it. I can't talk to you right now, but I will get to you later tonight. It was full of caterers and full of wedding professionals. And it was just people crying, saying they were going to have to lay off their staff, you know, people trying to figure out what their next move is. So early on in the, in the pandemic, it was kind of like when I was first diagnosed, it was, you know, something has literally hit you in the face out of the blue. I didn't expect to be diagnosed with cancer at age 34, you know, and I don't think anyone in the world expected everything to shut down over a pandemic. So it is a little correlative. What I suggested at the beginning was for people to take, really take stock of where they're at in their business, in their finances, in their personal life, and figure out how they are going to survive day to day. So I think people have, have done that part of it because I think we're a couple months in. So now it's about what do you want the next phase of your business to look like? You know, what, what do you want your next act to be? Kind of like, you know, me as a 40-year-old woman, a couple of years ago, I thought, hmm, do I really want to be on my feet working weddings every day for the next 10 to 15 years? And I thought long and hard about that, and I decided that I didn't really, that I want to do less weddings. I still want to be involved in the wedding industry, but that I need to hire, you know, I need to be on the lookout for a full-time assistant or a lead planner, maybe two of them to actually take over the day-to-day -day and push myself more into uh, education, into the education space, courses, podcast speaking, things like that, because I was looking for my next act, right? And I think that this moment in time is a good time for wedding professionals to do that, for, for everyone to do that. Think about 
what your next act will be. Because right now, you have the time to figure it out. Because you, you're not, you know, spinning, spinning, spinning in the everyday like we always are, you know. I've been t- telling myself for the last several years, oh, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to lose all this weight that I gained over hormone medications and steroids when I was going through treatment. I just never did. And so when the pandemic started, I said, you know what? I don't have any excuses left. So I've been doing a workout plan and I've lost quite a bit of weight because I decided that I was going to, you know, figure out what I wanted to the next part of my life and business to look like. We've also done some pivoting in our business. We're announcing a, a collective small weddings project two days from now. So it'll probably be up by the time this goes live. So I've spent a lot of time figuring out what I want my next act to be. And that's my biggest advice for people. I can't tell you what that next act should be because it's going to be different for everyone, but you have the luxury. That's the only luxury we have right now, the luxury of time to try and figure it out. I was telling my wife that, you know, this is, this will never happen again. Hopefully the, the break, the break. That we got. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, I mean the, I, the break that we got where, you know, everyone was in a rat race and trying to like come up with something to earn money. And then suddenly there's like a stop. And now we have a chance to rethink what our priorities are and to reconnect with ourselves. And that's what I always tell people. Like, we just need to use this time to think about what you want to do. And I feel like, let me know what you think too. I feel like for, for a person's brand, for a business's brand, this is so pivotal. This is the, it's really important like these times for you to establish your brand. How do you feel yeah. about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that everyone should always be working on a brand and a brand message and Um, I mean, luckily for me, I've been working on that for, for, you know, several years. I, I would love to say I came out of the the gate guns a blazing with a great brand and I knew who my ideal client was, but that's a lie. (laughs) Uh, but I have really solidified it over the past three or four years, but it was important for me to think about in terms of right now, this pivot, this shift that I'm making for this um, small weddings collective that I'm doing with several other planners and 40 other vendors is how can I make that indicative of my brand now, right? So that it's an extension or it makes sense to my core audience and I'm not devaluing my brand because I think people make the mistake sometimes of pivoting to something that doesn't really align with their core brand. And then they devalue their brand a little bit. Like if I all of a sudden started offering, you know, a thousand dollar day of coordination, it wouldn't make sense with my brand and then it would confuse customers. So I think people should think about that in terms of their brand and this moment. So I was talking to one of my friends and that friend was, we were talking about pivoting and uh, working right now, right? Cause there are mandatory, uh, there are guidelines where you can't get married or uh, with this much people, you can't do blah, blah, blah. When all of this started, I was observing our clients. And it's funny because the our past clients, they come to us, they message us like, this photographer, she doesn't care about wearing masks and blah, blah, blah. You know, they, they talk to us about that. And I was telling my wife, I'm like, you know, most of our clients are doctors and nurses and they belong to like the essentials. I don't think I want to piss them off. And show them that, hey, I'm working right now, you know, even if it's like not allowed. So, you know, that's why uh, I feel like for me, our brand right now is to create just like a lighthearted because everyone on social media is like wild right now. Like everyone has their own opinion. And you you see my feed. <laughs> you see yeah. my feed. I just put out. I love your feed. I, I, love you. your, I love your fun prompts and stuff. <laughs> I, I find it very so that's the brand I want to show is, you know, we're, we're in this together and let's try to like make it as lighthearted as we can amidst all of this seriousness. And, you know, it's a really serious time right now. Yeah. And my, that's what I feel like doing. One of my core messagings for my brand is the idea of calm, right? Because I feel like I'm a very calming presence to my couples because wedding days and wedding planning can be 
you know, whirlwinds, they can be very chaotic. And my job as a wedding planner or how I see my job as a wedding planner is to be their kind of calming presence and steady rock in the, the wedding planning. And so I'm leaning into that message, right? Because it's part of my core brand and it's relevant to now because now things are not calm, but I'm pretty calm. And the reason is because that's part of my personality, but also because I've been here before. I've seen this before. So it's not, I'm not as shaken by this whole thing as a lot of people because this already happened to me six years ago. So my, my world was already rocked harder than this. So I, I feel like I am doing a better job of keeping calm. And because that's part of my core messaging, I'm just leaning into that a little more right now. That's good. But you are really calming when we, <laughs> when we started talking. So that's the thing too. Like for me, we're not, we didn't experience the same thing. But for me, um, we came from a third world country. And this is pretty much what our lives were, were you know, and just growing up. And I think the only thing that stresses me out are the people who don't see this as something serious and don't you know, it's just a whole other different podcast, but that's the only thing that stresses me out. But for me, I'm like, if the, if my, if the scientists say this, I'm just going to have to trust that because, <laughs> you know, so that's the thing. Like it's, it's really important for a brand, not defiant, but they have a different perspective of what's going on and how should they pivot their brand to, not be who they really are. <laughs> are you are you asking about the people who don't think that the pandemic is real, that they they feel like they shouldn't wear masks? Is, are you asking about those people? I or? guess so. Yeah, it, it's yeah, just. I mean, yeah, I've seen some of those. They're, even here in Southern California, there are different views. I think it's always funny. People from outside California think of California as like a monolith. They think we're all the same. We're all vegans. We're all working out on the beach, like doing yoga. Who knows? Super buff. Um, yeah. But within California, there, is, there are a lot of differing, you know, political climates happening. I mean, my parents live in Temecula, which is a very different political climate than here. And a lot of the wedding vendors that I know that live in Temecula um, kind of have the same viewpoint. But it's it's indicative of their clients, their climate, the political climate of where they are, things like that. When people are saying a messaging that you don't necessarily agree with, I think it's important to keep in mind that maybe they're not speaking to you. You know, it's weird. Like you want, like, it's weird. Like I feel icky when I see people like there was a planner that did a wedding over the weekend with like a lot of people. And like, I, I just felt my skin crawl a little bit like, uh, 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 you know, but I'm also not in her position. I don't know anything about her company finances. So I'm not out here. I'm not out here to judge people. Would I do it? The answer is no. Do I think it's safe? Probably not. But again, I don't know the couple. I don't know the circumstances surrounding how that happened. So I think it's just depending on who it is that you're speaking to. Because if you're a wedding planner that lives in Orange County, lives in Temecula, and your audience doesn't think it's a problem, if you're out here shouting about how everyone needs to stay home and, and wear a mask, then, then you are alienating your ideal client, right? And your ideal client is probably very different than my ideal client, which, Paul, is probably very close to yours. A lot of my clients are professionals, doctors, you know, things like that, and they, they have a very different perspective that's more in line with my perspective because that's why they're my ideal customer. So I don't think that people should necessarily change up their messaging, especially if it's something that you don't believe because people can always tell fake, right? Yeah. Whether it's about the pandemic, whether it's about the, you know, the revolution, the black lives matter, you know, movement that's going on right now. If you're saying something that you don't believe in, people can feel it. And so it's not, it's going to hurt your messaging either way. Yeah, people have a lot of time to observe right now, so people oh, yeah. need to watch out what they're, what they're shooting out there. But that is such a great answer. I, I did not see it that way. Yeah. I'm always playing devil's advocate. I have two attorneys for parents, so oh. <laughs> that's how I grew up. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, that's, I, I did not see that. I, did, I never saw that. So th this makes so much sense now, and I love it. So now... After establishing what your brand is and people connect with you, they're, you're going to get inquiries, right? And so why, 
you're gonna get inquiries from your base. <laughs> Let's just say. So why why do people misinterpret um, inquiries from from clients? You know, people ask you know, this a lot because I think that there's a lot of misinterpretation that happens with inquiries. And I think it's because it's natural to get excited when people uh, inquire with you because they're basically raising their hand saying, I like you. I want to talk to you, you know, and it's, it's really exciting. But we don't focus on what they're really saying in their inquiry. Sometimes wedding professionals are focused on what they want to hear on what they think people are saying. And what we want to hear is not always going to make the sale. It's not always going to indicate that that's a good client match. Because I think that in client inquiries, in their message, in their verbiage, sometimes they're telling you outright that they're not a good match for you, but you're just not listening because you want to make that sale or you're excited that you have inquiries, especially right now. Like my inquiries are in the toilet, right? Just because people aren't inquiring. My sales funnel's pretty tight, so I don't get a huge amount of inquiries because my funnel weeds out a lot of people. But right now, it's, it's at epic levels of nothing. But I think that's kind of true for everyone right now. Exactly. But even if, even if you have a lot of inquiries, if you're not actually reading them, if you're not actually hearing what people are saying, then they're not going to do you any good. And people misinterpret inquiries all the time, again, just because they're only looking for what they want to see or want to hear, and they're not actually hearing what people are actually saying. Like, I'll give you an example. So early on in my career, I, I decided that I wanted to do things that were more elevated, more minimalist, more you know, sophisticated, and that's what my brand has evolved into. And at, around that time, I got an inquiry, the, it was from a bride, and she had used verbiage like princess. She wanted to use a lot of tool, you know, like she mentioned the word tool. And if, if I'd been thinking about it, when I was reading it, I would have gone, princess, that's not what I'm looking for, tool. That's a fabric that I hate, that I can't see and using in any of my weddings. She was telling me exactly what she wanted. But my mind was only hearing, here's someone that wants to give me money. Here's someone that wants to work with me. So when I met her, we, we met face to face, you know, at a meeting, like I do with every one of my potential clients. I don't allow people to hire me without having a, a real conversation with them face to face, if it's possible. They live in New York. Obviously, we do a, a Zoom call or a video call. But if they're here, I want to meet them because here's the part that people miss. The inquiry process is also about you deciding if that client is a good fit for you, just as much as the vice versa is true, if the client is deciding you're a good fit for them. So I met with her, and she continued the verbiage of, I want to feel like a princess, and I a pink bubble gum and tulle and poof everywhere and glitter and poof. And I just looked at her, and I was like, oh, she wasn't kidding. Like, she, that's what she wants. And what she was describing, while it, sounds, while it sounded perfect for her after meeting her and seeing her personality, it was not a match for me and my style and what I wanted to put out there. And I, in that moment, made the decision that it was not going to be a good match, right? And so I said, you know, after listening to what you're telling me, I don't think I'm the person that can give you what you want, right? It didn't have anything to do with her personality. She wasn't a bad person. Didn't have anything to do with her personality. It didn't have to do with the wedding that she wanted in the sense that she, you're allowed to have or want whatever wedding you want. You know, it's just, I'm not the person that's going to give it to you because I'm not into that. What you're describing is I'm not into it. So I gave her the names of some planners that I thought would actually be really good matches for her. She hired one of them. She had an amazing wedding. And I didn't have a pink bubblegum wedding filled with tulle and crystals that I, did, I could never show on my website. So it, it's all about deciding what's more important to you. Is the money more important to you? And right now in this moment, it might be. You might be in a position where you can't turn down these weddings right now. And that's fine and that's nothing that you should be ashamed of. But if you are not in that position, then maybe you don't want to take clients that aren't a good match for you. Uh, well, hopefully a wedding business figures out uh, the funnel 
from their website, from their social media, and then you funnel through and then they do the inquiry because they already decided, uh, yeah, this is the perfect match for us, like their style and blah, blah, blah. Usually you get the inquiries who are like exactly who you are, right? But then, in, a, in a perfect world, if you've got your funnel set up correctly, yes. And I would say that now, my the, if you make it all the way through my funnel, there's a 95% chance that you're going to book me. Just because at every step of the way, my funnel is designed to kick you out if you're not a good fit. Either style-wise or the amount of money that I'm charging or anything like that. It's, it's, it's designed to get you there. And even if people come in of ways that aren't through my funnel, like people ask me about contact forms all the time, like what people should put on their contact form. If people come to my website and they're not in my funnel, you know, because my contact form is actually not part of my funnel. It's, I, I view my funnel as kind of an opt in to getting, you know, in the email, uh, you know, I send out automated emails once they have an opt in and then they can check out our welcome site, which is different than our public site. And then they can schedule a call with me and all of that happens without me knowing it. They just schedule the call. They pop up on my calendar. Right. But if they go through my contact form, which is how most people's funnel works for the wedding industry because people, most people don't have like this crazy funnel that I have, that just, you know, research within an inch of its life. People ask about contact forms. And I think that contact forms, people are either asking too few questions or way too many. Like there's no middle ground for contact forms for some reason. I, I will say if you're going to err on the side of one of them, ask fewer questions instead of more because I, as a consumer, have opted out of people's contact forms because there's like 25 questions where I'm like, this is going to take just an insane amount of time. Like, how, how do I get to you? How do I get to a real person, you know? So my contact form has seven questions, three of which I need. I need your name, your email address, and when your wedding date is. Like, these are basic things. You know, then the next things are wedding budget and the number of guests. And how did you find us? And those are things that I need to know to know if you're a good fit for us, right? So your wedding budget, even if you don't have a good idea of what it is, because most, most couples don't have an idea of what weddings cost, let's face facts. Um, but if you tell me that you're looking to spend $11,000 on your whole wedding, I am not the person for you because that's what you may end up paying me. That's what some of my clients end up paying just me, not their whole wedding. So it's not going to be a good fit. And I know that there's probably not a lot of wiggle room, you know, the number of guests I need to know because we, my company flat out does not do weddings of over 400 people. So if you tell me that you're having a three day event with 800 people, we're opting out because that's not what we do here. Um, and I also want to know how people found us because I track all of my leads and track all of my inquiries. And if out there in YouTube and podcast land, if you're not doing the same, you need to start because if you don't have a track of how many inquiries are coming in from your advertising sources, from your referrals, from your vendor friends, from your peers, then how are you going to know where to spend your money and your energy in cultivating these leads going forward? You know, so I always want to know where things come from. And then the last and the most important question that I ask is open-ended. There's a big old box on my contact form that says, tell me about your ideal wedding day. And it's open-ended. And the reason that I leave it open-ended is so that people can tell me what they want me to know. And then I will listen to what they want to know. And not only what they say, I'm paying attention to how much they want to tell me. You know, how long is, you know, are they effusive? Are they writing paragraphs about their day? Do they already have everything planned? Is it very short and business-like? Then I know that's how they want to be interacted with. Like different clients will tell you kind of exactly what you want to know as long as you're open to listening. So I, I recommend an open-ended question on your form and, and not like, do you like popcorn or something? Like I see that on people's contact forms and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> I mean, it sounds fun in theory, but like, oh I don't gosh. know. I feel like uh, it's kind of like dating. Yeah, you, you know, you when yeah. you're like looking for a partner to date, it's the same. It goes the same way. Like if you're a little older, you ask, you go straight to the to the to, straight to business. And if you're a little younger, you ask like, "What's your favorite movie?" You know, stuff like that. But well, I think I think that you can get a sense of people by their answers, but it doesn't have to be what's your favorite color, like. 
some wedding planners are like, what color palette are you thinking of? Like, that's not important to me at this particular moment in time. If the client thinks it's important to them, they will tell you in the open-ended thing. And a lot of my inquiries do. They're like, we envision a neutral palette with blah, blah, blah. Like, and then I know design is important to them because they've decided to tell me that, right? Like, you just have to pay attention to what they're actually saying. So I, I want to backtrack a little bit because you said, uh, I think I heard you say that the contact form comes after they email you or is it no, in the I, I, so my, my funnel lives separate than my email, my, my contact form. Sorry. I also may be switching terms. Most people find me by way of referral or by way of one of our opt-ins. We have free lead generations out there, like 10 things to do after you get, you know, engaged. Um, when I've been on podcasts or when I get email lists, you know, at wedding shows or things like that. And so those are the two main ways we get referral. We get inquiries, but some of them do come through the contact form. They'll find my name on an advertising listing and they'll just come to my website and they'll just click contact form and they'll just contact me. But those are actually pretty few and far between. But for most people, that is how most of your clients contact you or potential clients contact you is through the contact form on your email or on your website. So you want to make sure that you're gathering some useful information so that you can go into your you know inquiry meeting with them armed with some information about what it is they're looking for how they like to be talked to you know if you're going to have to spend a lot of time educating them on budget or educating them on on other things you know but you got to arm yourself with some type of information and it's got to be relevant information not what kind of popcorn you like like <laughs> that's not going to help me sell you and that's not going to help me you know, figure out what it is that you're looking for from a wedding planner to help you with this day. Like, it's just not. So I love that. I just realized that our contact forms have different goals because you're more of the design execution part. Like mm -hmm. whenever they have an idea of what their wedding looks like, you do the, that's your job for us as videographers. Our job is to be able to capture whatever we've, we've done so many different weddings that we've done castle weddings. We've done minimalist weddings. And I think it just narrows down to for us as a company is to set their expectations. Mm -hmm. And usually our contact form is who, who uh, referred you because, you know, we keep track of how we get our inquiries and thank God I love HoneyBook. HoneyBook is the best. We get, there's like a chart there that shows us where the, the inquiries come from. But we find out the, who the clients are from people who are referring. Because that's usually, like if a photographer friend refers, oh, I know exactly what their personality is. So, yeah. you, you know, you, you get to. So the contact form is pretty much the barrier of entry from all the funnels and things you have. And uh, let me just add that I used to get a lot of, inquiries from my Instagram page saying, well, how much do you charge? And I'm mm -hmm. like, ah, oh, that you want to play that game, huh? So what I do is I send them to the contact form yeah. because for me, if they fill that up, then I know that they're serious about booking us. But if they don't, then they just buy, you know? So I don't know if that's like a good <laughs> strategy. Well, I, my contact form has a budget inquiry and it's got drop down. And the first level is like 30 to 45,000 because that is the lowest that it makes sense for someone's budget to be to pay us. And that's usually a month of coordination situation. Um, and so usually ever since I've added that, that, that stops the people kind of asking what we cost, but also we actually give more information about what we charge to our clients. Uh, if you go to the FAQ section of our website, it tells people what our pricing starts at. It tells, tells people what people are likely to pay. So I don't get a lot of questions about pricing anymore, just because if you want to know what my pricing is, you can find it on my website. And that has cut down on a lot of the, um, you know, price hunters or price seekers, people just looking for price. So I love that strategy because I, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about pricing, putting your pricing on the website, and usually there's the a lot pricing of different, is, People have different, there's I love a that very strategy. different view people have on that. <laughs> um, and, and I'm not saying that mine is going to work for everyone, 
you know, if you're an ultra, ultra luxury wedding planner, like, I don't know if, if you're like our particular budgets for weddings are usually between 80,000 and 200,000. So that's something called like lovely weddings. We've all decided that that's like the denominator we're giving that it's not really luxury. And for people who are outside of Los Angeles and say $200,000 isn't luxury, not here. It's not because luxury here is 500,000 plus. Mm -hmm. I don't seek that market. But people who do run in that market don't put pricing on their website because th their people don't care about pricing. My, my people care a little bit. And I, I know that they care enough to where they're going to ask a, a little bit. They're not obsessed with how much things cost and they know they have to pay a certain amount to get good service. So we mentioned pricing, but my pricing is not small, you know, so... It works for me. What I'm saying is it may not work for everyone. That's why there's very different views on if you should list your pricing or not. Like I took pricing off for a while just to see what happened. And all those inquiries asked, just asking about price came back. And they, they didn't lead to me selling anything more or booking any more. The percentage went way down. So it wasn't helping me. So I put them back up. So I did, I did a little like A-B testing to figure it out. I love, I, I was saying I love that strategy because before we had the packages part on our website mm -hmm. and then we, we put a starting at on the contact form, but you know, you, you kind of like weed out the price shoppers, but at the same time, you're, you're weeding out the people who have potential to actually pay you the amount you want. So it's a great strategy because putting it in an FAQ means that it's for the people who are serious about. Right. You. Because right. they're like looking through your website and, and then they see it in right. the FAQ. I love it. And, and people who are really serious about knowing pricing, like if, it, if someone really wants to know pricing, they can find it, right? Like they'll search your website to figure it out before they contact you. If they're a serious buyer, if they're not serious, then they'll just shoot off an email like, how much do you cost? And then that's just a time waster for me, you know, because... It's never happened where someone has sent me an email like, can you tell us what your price is? And me send back, you know, a link to our welcome site that very clearly has all of our, our, you know, custom pricing structure built out and everything. I never hear from those people again. Like, it's, it's not worth it. So that's why it works for us. But again, that's, some, that's one of the things that you can, you can watch out for in inquiries where you can come to realize and recognize the patterns in your own inquiries. The people who ask me only about price never book me. Like that is, that is across the board. That might not be the same for you. It might not be the same for somebody else, but it's a volume-based business, right? But I'm sure that if people look at their inquiries over time, we take all of our inquiries and input it into an Excel spreadsheet. Right at the end of every month, it's something that um, my VA used to do, and so now I'm doing it because <laughs> there's no use for the VA to do anything right now. But a big Excel spreadsheet that you know basically it's everything from their inquiry, including the. I always track the very first sentence, like what, how do people start their email, just because I'm so curious, like what that translates into. Do they mention price? Do they want to know price? Did who are they referred by? And all of these things that get broken down, and I put them in an Excel spreadsheet because then I can figure out trends right? Oh, everyone who comes to that says they were referred by green wedding shoes. I have a really high booking percentage of those people. So therefore the money that I pay green wedding shoes every year to advertise with them is well worth it. And I continue to pay it. No, no questions asked. Right. But some of my other advertising or I had a, I had a photographer that was referring me to a lot of people, but no one ever booked. And it was because she was telling them my pricing from four years ago, which my pricing is now nearly double. So of course they were not booking because once they figured out what I was charging now, they were like, whoa, but I had to figure out, I had to see the spreadsheet and have it go. She's referred me to 12 different people. Not a single one has booked. There's a disconnect there because if someone gives you a personal referral, the, the booking percentage should be higher. So I had to call her and be like, you're referring so many people to me. That's awesome. But none of them have booked. What are you telling them? So then we figured out what the problem was. But the only way I was going to figure that out was seeing it in the data, pure data, right? Like don't discount the, 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 the efficacy of pure data, right? People get so up in their head. Oh, they didn't like me. Oh, I must have said something that turned them off. Oh, I must have done this. 
No, sometimes it's just about data. It's just about the fact that they had it in their mind that I cost one thing, and when they heard I cost something else, they didn't want to book me anymore. Then that's it, right? So people sometimes get up in their head about it when really sometimes it's just, it can be figured out by just data, pure data collection. Yeah, I think you're right. It's people skip that part where, you know, running a business also needs to include data and numbers. So yeah, you really should. I, I, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I don't know how anyone makes decisions in their business without that type of information. How would I know whether or not I'm going to continue to give Green Wedding Shoes money if I don't have this data that says that referrals who come through them have a pretty high booking rate. Like how would I decide if it was worth it for me to still continue to give them money without that? Would I just go off of feeling like I feel like I get a lot of inquiries from green wedding shoes. Like that's not a good way to run your business. That's how businesses fail by feelings, right? Not by data. And there's so inquiries, if nothing else, they're just pure data collecting from people who have shown an initial interest in your business. They have shown enough interest to reach out to you. So now exactly. you have to go deeper and figure out what it is they're telling you about your own business, right? Because it, don't they say that branding is not what you think about your business, it's what other people say about your business when you're not in the room? Well, a lot of those people are, are couples and they'll tell you what they think about your business sometimes in inquiries. You just gotta read it. Yeah, well, and vendors too by yeah. the way they refer people to you. Yeah. yeah she right. thought that I was still half as expensive as I am now. So we had to fix that problem real quick, you know, and literally the next person that she referred to me booked because she was not giving them erroneous information on the front end, you know? So yeah. I fixed my problem super quick and I booked a, booked a client, you know, it was really easy to fix. Yeah. Every time I talk to people about, um, their booking process and their inquiries, how, how they handle it. It really, it really helps me. So thanks. I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> so now let's go back to, uh, to the inquiries. Um, right now, I'm not sure if it, it's the same with everyone, but I talk to other people and the inquiries right now come with a phrase where they ask you, what's your cancellation policy? What's your, just in case we postpone. So yep. how do you handle that kind of situation? But before you even think about what your answer is, I'd love to quickly thank our friends from HoneyBook. HoneyBook is a CRM, which stands for Customer Relationship Management System. And that software helps us manage and organize our customers' data. Clients always comment on how fast we respond to their inquiries. Since HoneyBook is one of the only small business CRMs that has an app, we get an alert every time someone fills out our contact form. And then we are able to send them a brochure right away. It all boils down to the customer experience. The more you make it easy for them, the more comfortable they will be in handing you their money. By eliminating that part of your business, you get to have your life back. And your clients will get the experience that they deserve. Win-win! If you use my referral link, you get 50% off your first year. And that's not all. I really want you to succeed. So once you become a member through us, you'll get a link to a video tutorial on how to set up your HoneyBook experience. Just click on the links in the show notes. So what was the answer to my question? Right. So I think the first thing to note is that that is a very smart question that people should be asking because COVID is a known thing now, right? So anyone that's entering into a, a contract with you at this point is aware that it's a risk. So what they're looking for is transparency from you. So I think people are sometimes annoyed or they, they're, they're immediately put off by people asking that, but I'm not in any way, shape or form, because if it were me, I would be asking that too. Like in the much higher likelihood than normal possibility that my wedding gets postponed, what happens, you know? They're not necessarily telling you the, the clients that try to dictate what will happen. That's a, that's a big red flag, right? But if they're just asking what they're looking for is transparency. Most of the generation that's getting married now, millennials and Gen Z coming on up 
they are huge on transparency. They want to know your policies. They want to know what you believe in. They want to know what charities you give to. They want to know exactly what's going to happen, and they want complete transparency. And if you're not being transparent, especially right now in this moment, it's a bad look, I think. You know, I'm not telling you what your policy should be because I'm not going to allow a client or another vendor to dictate what my business's cancellation, postponement, force majeure, any of those policies are, but I'm going to be very open with clients about what that is. I have been doing that the whole time. And as a result, my clients are, are, they're not pissed right now. Like they knew what was up when they signed my contract because I explained things to them. Right. So they're all pretty you know, understanding of the situation and, you know, the, the possible fees, the postponements, the force majeure, the, the contract amendments, because I explained to them that I was very transparent in the beginning of the process. I think people are having problems now because they're, they weren't that transparent or they didn't take the time to explain to people. And so they're running into a lot of problems. Well, I thought that we could do this. Well, you never really explained that we couldn't do blah, 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 even though it's clearly in your contract. Like, it doesn't hurt to explain to people. And if people are wanting to know about it firsthand, first thing, I think that's just because they're all so afraid of what's happening. And they just want to know that you have a plan, right? Like, show that you as a person and as business are not pretending that nothing is wrong, right? Like, (laughs) if my response was, what's the big deal? Then a client would go, or my ideal clients would go, I don't know about that. I don't know if she is a person we want to entrust with this level of our money and our time, you know? So don't let the the question throw you. I think it's something that people have to ask now. Oh yeah, for sure. And whenever we get a question like that, we tell them, when are you getting married? Which is part of the contact form. If it's this year, we just tell them, we just don't book us yet. Because I don't want to accept money when I know I'm going to give it back. Right. We've, we've, stopped right taking, we've stopped booking for 2020 as well. We're now shifting to this small weddings project where we're just having certain dates that are going to be available. But at this point, I think the likelihood of here in LA, people's weddings happening is, is pretty low, unfortunately. Uh, big weddings, that is, you know, more of your normal, traditional weddings that we're always, you know, we're all doing. Yeah. So I, I've said, we'll book you for 2021 because, but not for 2020. But again, that's a decision I've made for my business. That's a decision you've made for your business and other people may be dip, may look at it differently. But if you're still booking weddings for like three months from now, you need to get really clear on your policies about what's going to happen if that wedding cannot take place. Right? Like, even for our small weddings project that we put together, we all came together, the six planners that are involved came together and had a really definitive, you know, mindset about what's going to happen if the weddings couldn't happen, what's going to be non-refundable, all of these things, because we know people are going to ask, like, they just are, so... They will for sure, because, you know, it's just so so uncertain, and... I've seen online, I've seen a lot of people who are like, we decided to get married with just our parents and, you know, we lost a lot of money and it's so heartbreaking, but we finally did it. You know, it's just so heartbreaking to see that, but at the same time, there's nothing we could do. But so I guess at the end of the day, you just have to protect yourself and make sure that everything's clear. The client understands what your, what your policies are, right? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really interesting because I think there are some real, like people, people are always asking me, like, how do I know those bad clients before they happen? Like, how do I know (laughs) those clients that are going to be a real problem for me down the line? Right? Like that's, that's something that people ask all the time. I gush about my clients all the time because I think they're amazing and they're all very, intelligent people who have been able to have really thoughtful conversations with me through something terrible that's happening to them and their lives and their wedding and all of these things. But it's because I did the work on the front end to make sure they were a good match, that we were a good match for each other, not just one, not just a one way street. And people always ask, well, is there something that I should be on the lookout for? And I do think that there is one phrase that people really need to be aware of. There's one thing that people say in inquiries that I think if you see it, 
you need to run. And it's three little words. Are you ready? I just need. Three little words, right? And they don't even sound that bad, right? But I just need this many hours. Um, those are the clients that are self-identifying themselves as people who will never understand your value, right? Because just is a word that we use in the English language to denote that something is not as important or that it's less than, right? Like if you start an email and you don't want to bother someone, you're like, hey, just checking in, or I just need you to write me back really fast, or like it's a, it's a word that especially women use to denote that something is not that important, right? So when clients use something like I just need or I'm just looking for, it's denoting that they don't value this, right? And it's something that I have noticed throughout the, throughout the years that the people that use that wording in their inquiries that I have booked have become problems because their mindset is already such that they don't value what they do because at every level they're trying to devalue it. Oh, I'm just looking for, they're the kind of, they're also the kind of clients that are like, Oh, I don't need all eight hours. I only need four hours. Can I get it for less? Or they'll look at, you know, wedding packages and they'll be like, well, I don't need you to do this. I don't need you to do this. I just need someone who's going to take care of X, Y, Z. Can the package be lower? Like it's, it's that person. And those people are going to devalue your work at every step of the way and lowball you and ask for discounts and become problems later. And it's all, it all stems from this, them saying those words, I just need. It's weird. Like, but it's so true. Yeah, they're never going to take you. They're never going to be excited working with you. They're never going to take you seriously. Yeah, you're right. For us, it's uh, can I get a discount? Even See? before all of those things. Like, you know, when you said, um, oh, I'm going to do this for, I just need uh, one hour. Can, can I get it for less? We get, can I get a discount, period. Like, no, no explanation, nothing. I'm like, what? <laughs> How? I don't think that's bad in and of itself. And I'll explain why. Okay. So this is something that I learned from Alan Berg. Have you ever listened to Alan Berg? Yes, talk? I love Alan Berg. I love Alan Berg. So Alan Berg astutely kind of put this in the back of my brain, which is that people ask for pricing and for discounts because they don't know any better, right? They ask for price because they don't know what else to ask. And I think that is also true of discounts. People are ingrained to ask for a sale. The way that our, because I spent so many years doing retail consulting, I know a lot about consumerism, psychology, and how people are ingrained to ask for discounts because they think if they don't ask, they'll never get anything. You know, so a lot of people just ask for discounts because they think they might get one or what's the harm, you know, but vendors hear, can I get a discount? And what they hear is you're not worth it. Right. Which is not necessarily what they're saying. They're just asking to see if they can ask. Same with contracts. People ask me to take stuff out of my contracts all the time to see if they can. Right. It doesn't mean that you as the vendor have to agree to it. Right. I've said no to discounts and no to taking stuff out of my contracts. And only one time has it led to someone not booking me. All the other times it's just them going, okay, well, we had to ask. Like literally that's it. People get like really wrapped up in like wedding vendors get really wrapped up in their heads about people asking for discounts because we're a service-based business or we're an emotional business. Weddings are an emotional thing. And we think that them asking for a discount is them devaluing us when really it's just how they've been trained to think about money. That's it. Actually, come to think of it, yeah, we've been saying no a lot, and they still book with us, and they pay okay. us full price. And we, even when we get, like, revisions, they think that they can do as many revisions as they can, and we just respond with a with an invoice, and they're like, oh, no, you know what? It's fine. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, people people will, will behave on a consumer level how you train them to, right? So there's, there's a fascinating study. The brand JCPenney, been around for years and years and years, right? They decided about 10 years ago that they were going to do away with sales, that everything was going to be a square price. And they came out with this like marketing that was all about a square and everything was a square price and no sales and no clearances. And customers said, we don't buy it, right? Because they had been, customers had been trained that retail stores have sales, right? So they didn't buy it. But JCPenney, instead of keeping going, they gave in, right? Just like every company does when they have their buy one, get one 
free or half off sale, they have to have that continually because they're training their own customers. So if you as a business owner decide that you are going to get in the mindset of always giving people discounts, then that's you doing it to yourself, just like JCPenney did. But it's not that your customers are automatically devaluing you. They're seeing what they can get. Just like if you and I went to, you know, I've been to the, the markets in other parts of the world that are more barter system because they're used to that, right? And so you'll just, you'll just put a, a, a number out there and see what you can get. But the person always has the, op- the, the option of saying no. And I, I would have I paid happily $20 for that fan and not five that I actually got them down to, you know? But why would I pay five? Why would I pay 20 if I could pay five? And the same is true of wedding photography or videography. If you have your packages and someone says, oh, well, well, you know, I'm really only looking to spend two grand. Would you, would, would that be okay for this package? And you say, yes, well then the conversation's over, right? And then you've lost money. But if you say, unfortunately, to give you the kind of service that you've seen our other happy customers have, we, this, is, this is the price of our package. And then they can say yes or no, and then you can decide what to do from there. But them just asking for a discount doesn't automatically mean that they don't value it. So I, I can see how people think that because we're all so like emotionally involved with our pricing and our services, but the clients aren't looking at it that way. They're not yet emotionally invested in it like you are. And I think it's also, you know, setting their expectations and the initial initial conversation makes them realize that, oh, they're actually professionals and they actually are worth the money. So I, you know, it's, it's so funny because I did not expect us to talk about everything and (laughs) you have, you have given me so much information that's so valuable that I, I, it's, I really appreciate it. So I'll talk forever if you let me. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I I think I'd love to, but (laughs) (laughs) so if there's one takeaway that you would love to uh, the audience to, to get, what is it um, when it comes to inquiries? I think maybe one of the big, the big things, the overriding things that I want people to understand is that the inquiry process is everything, right? It is part of your onboarding process. It is part of your selling process. It's, it's actually starts with everything you're putting out there from your website to your marketing, to your advertising, to the minute they sign the contract, right? So it's everything in between and your clients are evaluating you at every step of the way. So we have to look at it as a larger process other than just like, oh, here I'm shooting an email. I'm sure it'll be fine. Like they're, they're taking into consideration your social. They're taking into consideration your past reviews. They're taking into consideration how you're writing, you know, how, you're, how your professional voice sounds, all these things, right? So people tend to think of inquiries in a vacuum. This client contacted me and now I'm having a discussion with them and it's only this direct contact this direct conversation that is going to lead to whether or not they're going to buy from me when in actuality it's a whole process and everything they're seeing from you in that time that they're deciding whether or not you're the person they're going to give their money to so pretty much you're saying um when they go to the contact form they're pretty much deciding to book you like your your foot is already in the door is that would you is it safe to say that with, with the with the funnel that you've created with with my funnel once i get on my funnel ends with a with a zoom call now it used to end with a meeting or a call or whatever but it ends with a zoom call at that point yes for me it's not true of of everyone because a contact form for a lot of other people is easy to get to yeah. but it's them saying that they're open to giving you your money but what I, what i'm really saying is before that that inquiry comes to you they have they have already been looking at your social looking at your website looking at the comments that you're making online they have been deciding their opinion of you long before that conversation directly with you happens right so we can't think of our inquiry process as only the direct communication between us and the client after they've made contact it's everything so everything that you post everything that you're putting out for your brand you have to think about it in terms of how is this going to sit with a potential client that's trying to decide if they want to give me their money. I think that's what I'm saying. 
Yeah. That's perfect. That's exactly <laughs> how I feel. <laughs> well, some people forget that. They're just putting stuff out there. And I'm like, is that something you really want someone to see when they're deciding whether or not they want to give you $10,000? Oh I, uh, I would love to talk to you about that in a different episode because <laughs> okay. it's just really bugging me how people are handling their branding. But anyway, <laughs> I would love it if you could tell the people how they could reach you and where to go for more information. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a big Instagram person. So that's the number one way people can find me. I'm at Harmony Creative on Instagram. And you can find everything about me. I also have a special offer for your listeners, if you might be interested. Always. <laughs> so I have an onboarding course that's out there. And part of onboarding is the inquiry process. And so we have a course out there. It's a mini course. It's $97. It's like two hours of instructions, 20 downloadable pages. And there is a code that I'd like to tell your listeners that they can get 30% off of that course if they use the term BOSSNESS2020. And they can find that at bit.ly slash wedding onboarding course and i'll send that to you so you can put a link in the show notes or wherever you want to put the link in but yeah it's just a helpful course to get people into your business as part of the onboarding in a way that's going to help you at every step after that you know buy back your time uh make it so your clients aren't texting you at 11 o'clock at night you know all of those things and the inquiry process does play a valuable role in the onboarding process they're very interconnected so i think if people are interested in inquiries they'd be interested in onboarding as well oh my gosh margo thank you so much for that <laughs> well obviously if the people who are listening right now they they could tell that you don't only specialize with inquiries but you specialize with everything else so it's it's actually going to be a good investment so i really thank you thanks for your time i know it's a really warm day today here in <laughs> yeah, california it's a million degrees outside <laughs> but, but i really appreciate your time and um i hope to see you soon all the best awesome. well thanks for having me i really enjoyed it thank you thank you Thanks so much, Margot, for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for listening. If you want to learn more about them, feel free to click on the links in the show notes. Just in case you want to learn more about running your business, but you want to read it in shorter bite-sized formats, the Wedding Bossness Podcast has a blog, and that's where I post most of the cool information I find from different places. I also have a YouTube channel if you want to watch the interviews. The links are all in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening, and if you've learned anything from today's episode, I'd really appreciate it if you write a review or subscribe to my show. That would really help a lot to keep the show going. Till then, play nice if you can't win, be nice, especially if you're good looking. This is the Wedding Boston's Podcast. <laughs>